Well, welcome everybody to Downtown Harbor Church. <clears throat> if it is your first time, my name is John. I am the lead pastor around here. Appreciate you guys coming on out. Hey, before I forget, let me just touch on that DHC knife. That was great. I mean, if you made it out, we had a great crowd. There was like 30-something people there. It was a huge crowd. If you've never been there before, if you've been in the past and haven't been in a while, you need to come. Let me tell you why. In January, if you remember, if you were here, we did a whole series on growing your faith. And one of the things that God uses to grow our faith are the people around us, the relationships that we are in. And if you're looking to get connected into one of those relationships, DHC Nights is a perfect way to do it. So many new folks got to meet each other, you know, swap phone numbers. It was just fun. There's no Bible study. It's just, you know, have a glass of wine, have a soda, get some food. It's relaxed. It's just, you don't want to miss the next one. So if you want to come, if you're not getting the mailing list already, just check off DHC nights on that card. We'll, you know, we'll spam the heck out of you and um, it'll be great. The next one, second Thursday uh, of every single month. All right. Today, we are wrapping up this series that we have been calling Chasing Happiness. And if you remember back to the beginning, if you were here this whole journey, it all started because I saw one of my friends post something on Facebook talking about happiness. And it sort of got me thinking about conversations that I've had with my friends and conversations that I've had with family. And then I was thinking about other things that I see that we post on Instagram, that we post on Facebook. And it dawned on me that Many of us, and I'll just say all of us, but just put us all in the same boat, I think we are all chasing after happiness. And we do it in a number of different ways. I think we chase after happiness um, with our careers. I think we chase after happiness with our finances or our possessions. I think we chase after happiness with exercise or dieting or, or, or travel. And none of these things are bad. None of these things are immoral. None of these things are illegal. These are all fine things. And I would argue that most of these things do bring you some happiness. But the happiness that it brings is fleeting. We're kind of going to land on that a little bit today. So the question that we've been sort of talking about all series long is, well, what does God have to say about happiness? Because if God is the one who created happiness, if God is the one who created our capacity to have joy, what does he have to say about happiness? Let's lean into the scripture and find out what he has to say. So before we kind of get to today's topic, there's, there is um, an issue that I need to address with you. Um, this is, um, I hate to use the word controversy, but there's been somewhat of a, a controversy that has been brewing inside of this church. And the last two weeks, it's sort, of, it's sort of gotten bigger every single week. And if, I'd be lying if I didn't tell you that before we started this series, we as a team sat down and we kind of, we spoke about that this particular thing might be an issue, that if we do this series, if, if we present this, this sort of message in this particular way, we might eventually get some pushback. But my team said to me, and I'm throwing them under the bus right now, my team said, no, don't worry about it, keep doing it, it's fine, don't worry. And I said, all right, you know, I don't push an agenda, I don't push my own will, we're all team players here. And so we just continue to do the series as, as you know, we, we thought it would work. And at first, we didn't hear much. But then last week, we really began to get a lot of pushback. And as every good controversy has, it begins to take on its own name. It sort of gets its own life, you know, um, life to it. And we around the office have started calling it Bontgate. Now, you're not laughing because you have no idea what the heck we're talking about. Because if you've been in this room for the last two weeks, you have, what is Fonkate? Is this a joke? What is he talking about? What is, what? The people at home right now 
who are watching on Facebook Live, all they see is a white screen. <laughs> they can't see the orange highlights. So every single week, every time we want to bold something super important, they cannot see it all. It's just been a blank screen to them. And they've been letting us know, hey, you should know. We're concerned. People aren't seeing what you're talking about. You need to know. So we want to make sure that our at-home audience feels listened to, right? They are equally as important as those of us who come to church here. You know, not in the eyes of God, obviously, but, you know, <laughs> you've, made, you know you've made the journey here, but they're on their couch. We know you're there. Hey, Scott. Uh, anyway, no, we're kidding. But we want to make sure that they feel listened to. We live to serve here in this church. We want to fix this. So with that being said... There we go. Now they can see it. Oh, Fonke. Uh, take the rest of the day off, right? No. All right. So now they can see we've got the Halloween colors all of a sudden. So I didn't choose it. It's like Halloween. Whatever. All right. Now onto the topic at hand. Um, as we wrap up this conversation about chasing happiness, I want to talk about an issue that I firmly believe impacts every single one of us but we don't see it in our own lives. And this is the kind of issue that you can see it in somebody else's life. Like you could see it from almost a mile away. You could see it coming down the street, but they don't see it at all. What I want to talk about is how we as Christians, and we, you know, as humans for that matter, we undermine our own happiness. That we are just doing these things that we don't recognize that then undermine the happiness in our lives. And there's so many examples that we could sort of give as illustrations. You know, you might have a, um, um, a married couple friends, and you sort of see these things that they do, and you're just like, that is not going to end well, right? Whatever that is, like you just see that, and you leave dinner with your, you know, your wife or your husband or whatever, and you go, that's, that's not going to be pretty. That is, that is going to be a problem down the road. Or you got a buddy or a girlfriend who is just one of these people that is constantly crying the blues about money. You know these folks. There's, it's always, there's always money issues, and yet you see them spending cash like it's going out of business. And for you, the connection is so clear. You're like, I can tell you why. I can tell you why you're not happy. It is very obvious to me why you are not a happy person. And yet, for whatever reason, they can't seem to see it. And we could spend an hour here talking about these just myriad examples of ways in which we do things that ultimately undermine our experience. But that's sort of what I want to get at today. Because life is hard enough as it is. And so why do we continually do things that ultimately undermine our own happiness? Now, notice I said ultimately. I didn't say immediately. Because if it was immediate, we wouldn't do it. You know, anybody in their right mind doesn't do things that would immediately undermine their own happiness. Why? Because you see it. It's right there in front of you. You know that if I do this, I'm, I'm immediately going to feel the ramifications of this thing. So why do we continue to do these things that will ultimately, not at first, not right away, these things that you can't even see coming down the line, but ultimately, they undermine our own happiness? Based on conversations that I've had and sort of footage that I've seen, if you will, I think part of the problem comes down to confusion, if you will, that surrounds two words, and I'll call them happiness and pleasure. This is where I'm going to land on today. I want to land on the connection between happiness and pleasure. I want to land on sort of the relationship between happiness and pleasure. But before we get to this conversation, um, I want to lay a little, little bit of groundwork, okay? I want a little bit of a framework to help us better understand this conversation once we get to it. 
Now, to do that, I want to take a look at something that Jesus said. Now, before we kind of get into what he said today, let me give you a little bit of a context. Prior to what I put up, Jesus is speaking to um, a mixed group of people, some of his followers, some people that are trying to find out who he is. Um, and as he's speaking to them, he's using imagery of sheep. He's using imageries about gates and, 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 and gate pens and sheep pens. And to be honest with you, he, he's lost the crowd. The crowd doesn't know what he's talking about. The crowd is confused. He recognizes this. John speaks about the confusion in the crowd. So Jesus kind of takes a step back, and he, and he, he sees, he goes, all right, I've lost you. Let, let, me, let me come at this from a different direction. Let me see if I can explain this concept to you using something else. So try this on for size, essentially, Jesus says. And he goes, the thief, right, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Now, if you've been in church any length of time, this is a phrase that you've probably heard before. This is a very famous phrase of Jesus. This, is, this plays a big part in sort, of, in sort of Christianity. And what's interesting about this phrase is that this would fall into the category of false memory. We've had a series on that in the past. Or, or rather, this is one of those phrases that a lot of us sort of misapply. So I just want to make sure that we as a church know who this thief is that comes to steal and kill and destroy. So if you know who it is, yell it out loud, just so we all know. Who is it? Nobody knows? What? Satan. Satan. Wrong. It's not Satan. It's crap, okay? Many of us as Christians, and you can tell you a little nervous. He's like, is that it? It's not it. But we think that is because Satan, when you think about Satan, he really does come to steal and kill and destroy. And we use this phrase to talk about Satan, but in this particular moment, Jesus is not talking about Satan. Jesus is talking about his opponents at the time. He's talking about the spiritual leaders of Israel in that moment, and he's using this idea of a thief that comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And in Jesus' mind, a thief is anyone who steps into anyone else's life, and as a result of that, something is stolen, something is killed, and something is destroyed. So, with that definition, okay, of what a thief is, I want to ask you a question, and most likely you're not going to like the answer. So here's the question. Who in your life has the most potential to steal your future, kill a relationship, or destroy your life? I mean, when you think about your life, when you think about the people in your life that you sort of see every day, that you have run-ins with every single day, who has the most potential, the greatest capacity to steal your future, kill a relationship, or destroy your life? You do. Yourself. You, you, you look at the person in the mirror. That is the person that has the greatest capacity to wreak havoc in your own life. And I think we don't want to admit that, but I think it's, I think it's true. That's why we have statements like, I am my own worst enemy. You've probably said it before. And I think based on Scripture, I think based on the footage that I've seen, this is true. We are, in fact, our own worst enemies. And the reason I know this about you guys is because you bought it, right? You leased it. You dated it. You slept with it. Some of you married it, okay? <laughs> you, 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 know, you drank it. You smoked it. You ate it. Okay, pick your poison. We've all done these things to ourselves. And what it becomes uncomfortably clear when you look at the words of Jesus, 
is that we are that thief. Welcome to church, okay? <laughs> we are that thief. You were there, okay? You were there for every experience. You were there for every purchase. You were there for every sin. You are the common denominator. We are the ones who are time and time again making these unwise decisions that ultimately, not immediately, but ultimately undermine our happiness. These decisions that do nothing but, but steal and kill and destroy in our lives. And in sharp contrast to all of that, to all of what a thief is, Jesus looks at this crowd and he says, but I have come that they, and that they is you, may have life. He says, the thief comes to do nothing but steal and kill and destroy, and I, in sharp contrast, come to bring life. And based on what Jesus says next, I don't think he got the reaction that he expected to get when he made this bold, amazing proclamation that he has come to give life. It's kind of like when you, when you go to like a presentation or a church and, you know, the guy comes out and he goes, good morning, and you say good morning, and then he goes, oh, that wasn't very good, let's try that again. And you're like, oh, gosh, is there anything more annoying when someone does that? But I feel like Jesus sort of didn't get the response from telling these folks that he has come to bring life. And he goes, no, 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 I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And as English speakers, we see this, and and perhaps we might not give Jesus the reaction he expected, because this word full that the translators chose is still not that good. Because when you look in the word in Greek of what Jesus actually said, really it's something more like, I have come to bring you life abundantly. I have come to bring you a life that is rich and satisfying. I have come to bring you a life that is not normally or ordinarily seen. That when someone sees the life that I have given you, they step back and they go, wow, what is different about you? And then he says something that for us today is going to seem like a bit of a non sequitur. It doesn't, doesn't seem like it fits in. But he looks at this crowd and he says, I am the good shepherd. Remember, he was talking about sheep earlier and confused them. So he goes back. He goes, I I am the good shepherd, okay? And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, this is a very important sort of spiritual truth that Jesus lays out right here. Because whenever you read the Bible, okay, whatever you read in the Old Testament, okay, whatever you read in the New Testament, the context for all of that, is that God sent his son, Jesus, to be a good shepherd who would eventually lay down his life for his sheep. That is what he's getting at here. And I think that's lost on us a lot of times. I think when we get caught up in life, I think when we get caught up in sort of the bad stuff that happens to us, I think when we get stuck in the sort of the nitty-gritty, confusing details of the Old Testament, I think when we read some stuff in the New Testament, we go, wait, I don't, huh? We have to remember that that this is all in the context of Jesus Christ being our good shepherd. I'll say this. If someone is willing to lay their life down for you, they are for you. That no matter what happens in your life, God is for you. So in sharp contrast to this, right? In sharp contrast to this, right? Jesus would say, look, look, look. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, okay? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come to give and heal and build. And he looks at this crowd, and he looks at us, and he goes, so you've got a decision to make. 
who are you going to follow? Are you going to follow the thief, who many times is you, who does nothing but steal and kill and destroy and ultimately undermine your happiness? Or are you going to choose to believe that I am the good shepherd, that when you follow me, I will lead you to life and life to the full? The choice is ours. So at times, many times, we are our own worst enemy. But we're not our only enemy. Scripture actually says that there is a greater enemy in the world, and and it's called sin. Now, whenever the New Testament authors talk about sin, they almost personify it. They almost make it seem like it's a person, like it's a being, like it's an entity that we contend with. And last week, when we talked about sin, we, we landed on this idea that sin separates. Sin separates. Sin separates us from God. We talked about how there's the nation of sin and the kingdom of God, that there is a great divide between the two, that sin separates us from God, sin separates us from others, and ultimately, sin separates us from ourselves. Because how many times, I mean, how many times have you done something where it's just like, oh, I can't even, I can't even look at myself. I just, it's, oh. It separates us from ourselves. And based on how sin operates in our life, and based on Jesus' definition of what a thief is, I believe it's safe to say that sin is a thief, and that sin only comes to steal and kill and destroy. And so what's clear is that there is an enemy within. We have an enemy without. And so if we are not vigilant in who we follow or in what we follow, we can undermine our own happiness or worse. So with that framework in mind now, I want to shift gears ever so slightly, and I want to get back to the conversation I want to have about the confusion around happiness and pleasure. So every single week as we kind of kick off the series, you've heard me say this idea that God is the one who created happiness. I believe that to be true. I, think, I believe God created happiness. I believe that God created our capacity to, to sort of feel joy, which means that God also is the one who created our ability and our capability to feel pleasure, all different kinds of pleasure. Which means, and I don't want to like, you know, make you have to think about this, but this means that God is also the one who created sexual pleasure. I mean, he did, all right? My wife is going to kill me that we're having this conversation right now, but this is fine. This is right. All right, I do this for you. You're watching a man about to undermine his own happiness, okay? So (laughs) I was thinking about this week. This is how, like, I was thinking about how God created this kind of pleasure, and I just firmly believe that way back when, who knows when, but when God was creating man, and he sort of got to the end of the process, I think he sort of, you know, got his angels and sort of brought them into the boardroom and, and sort of laid out the blueprints for, you know, sexual pleasure. And he's sort of walking him through what this looks like and what this entails. And as he's, he keeps going further and further, they're looking at him and like, oh, God, this sounds terrible. And he's like, no, 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 they're going to love it. It's going to be great, all right? This is going to be a real crowd pleaser. Trust me, okay? It's going to get them into all kinds of trouble. <laughs> it's going to keep Jesus and I really, really busy, Okay? But here's why I say this. I'm just having a little bit of fun. But here, this is important to understand. God is not against pleasure. He created it, which, which means that God is also not against happiness because he created it. The problem, however, starts in how we prioritize the two. Because when we begin to prioritize pleasure over happiness, 
That's when we begin to get ourselves in a little bit of trouble. So let's talk about these two states, if you will. When you think about pleasure, pleasure is immediate, pleasure is powerful, and pleasure is short-lasting. And when you think about what happiness is, based on what Jesus has sort of laid out for us in the last two weeks, happiness is not the same as, as pleasure. Happiness is not short-lasting. Happiness is deep and abiding. Happiness is not immediate. Happiness is ultimate. And so what begins to happen is that when we start to prioritize pleasure over happiness, eventually we get nothing. Because when you look at this list, I would argue that happiness leads to pleasure. But I would also argue that pleasure ultimately undermines happiness. I would argue that happiness ultimately brings maximum pleasure. But when you pursue pleasure at the expense of or ignoring the principles of happiness laid out by Jesus Christ, ultimately, you get nothing. And you've seen this firsthand because eventually pleasure loses its pleasure and becomes a prison. This is the law of diminishing returns. And you see this in so many aspects of our lives, but one thing you see it a lot with is alcohol. There's no problem with having a glass of wine, right? Have one glass of wine, not a problem. Then one glass of wine doesn't really cut it anymore. I need two. And then you need three. Now it's a bottle. Now it's more and more and more and more. And the next thing you know, you're getting into fights, you're blacking out, and you're crying in your shower on a Saturday morning. You've seen it. Because what can happen if we begin to prioritize pleasure, if we begin to constantly go back to pleasure, is that these things become masters in our lives. They become pathways to something much, much more dark. And remember, these pleasures, they don't have to be anything immoral. They don't have to be anything, you know, illegal. But when you prioritize pleasure over the principles of happiness, meaning whenever you're trying to find happiness in your life and you keep going to the pleasure to find this happiness, ultimately you find yourself in a prison. Paul kind of teases this out a little bit further. And he says, don't you realize, and I love how he starts off with this. He goes, don't you realize? He goes, do we really need to have this conversation? He goes, haven't you seen this in your own life? Isn't this something that you just see all the time? Don't you realize that you become a slave of whatever you obey. And I love that he uses this word, whatever, and not whomever, because I think a lot of times when we think of slavery, we think of a human relationship. And he goes, no, 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 it is way bigger than that. It is way worse than that. He goes, whenever you, and just for us, let's just use uh, pleasure today, because we're talking about that. He goes, whenever you continually say yes to pleasure, yes, yes, I'll take that, I'll do that, yes, 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 eventually, eventually you become its slave. And I think we hear that and we might push back. We might argue and we say, well, I'm choosing this thing. I'm choosing this thing. It's, it is not my master. I think Paul would say, well, you know, that may be true, but if you keep choosing it and choosing it and choosing it and choosing it, and every time the door knocks, you open it, and now you're at a place where you're looking out the window, see if it's coming down the road. Eventually, you become its slave. You're acting like you have to, not like you want to. 
He says, so you can be a slave to sin, which leads to death. He goes, if you continue to open that door to sin, eventually you will become its slave and sin leads to death. And we talked about this last week, that wherever sin shows up, something dies. And you've seen it. You've seen sin kill relationships. You've seen sin kill families. You've seen sin kill marriages. You've seen sin kill finances and careers. You've seen sin destroy bodies. You've seen sin kill self-esteem. Paul would say, wherever sin shows up in your life, something dies. He goes, so you can be a slave to sin, which leads to death. Or there's another option. He says, or you can choose to obey God. You have a choice. He goes, every single day of your life, you offer yourself up to something through obedience. Every single day of your life, you are making a choice to put your life, your future, your happiness into the hands of someone or something. And you can choose to obey sin. You can continue to say yes to pleasure, or you could choose God. You can choose to obey the good shepherd. And when you do that, Paul says, it leads to righteous living. And this is where I think the entire series comes together. I was sort of looking at what Paul said here. And I feel like in this moment, he's tying together every single thing that Jesus has been teaching us. And let me see if I can explain it, because in my head it makes sense, but sometimes when I say things, it doesn't make sense. What I believe Paul is laying out for us here is a formula. He's saying that when you as a Christian, when you as a Christian choose to obey God, when you choose to follow the good shepherd, as Jesus would say, that leads to righteous living. And when you live a righteous life, you are in right standing with God. And when you as a child of God, in God's family, are in right standing with God, you have peace. This is what we talked about last week. As Christians, we learn that peace is sustained by submission to Jesus. And this word submission is nothing but obedience. It's waking up every single day and looking at Jesus, the good shepherd, and saying, yes, 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 I obey. Wherever you lead, I follow. Yes, 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 yes. And when you do this, you will have peace with God. And when you have peace with God, you have happiness. And that is what every single one of us is chasing after. This is life. And that is life to the fullest. But as humans, as Christians, we don't always choose the right path. We don't always choose to follow the good shepherd. And so what happens? What happens when you follow after sin? What happens when you kind of chase after these pleasures, whatever those pleasures might be? I'm using those words ambiguously you begin to plant the wrong seeds. And you don't have happiness in your life. And we all want happiness. And it sucks us into what I would call a vicious cycle. You see, when we're unhappy, we often reach for pleasure. When we're unhappy, we reach for that quick fix, that immediate hit, that shot that gives us that immediate gratification. And that's when we begin to make decisions that ultimately undermine our happiness. I'm unhappy, I'm going to go shopping. I'm going to go spend some money. And there's nothing wrong with shopping, right? 
at least not at first. You know, I've just got a lot of unhappiness in my life, so I'm going to go have a glass of wine. And there's nothing wrong with having a glass of wine, at least not at first. You know, I'm unhappy, so I'm going to go post on social media. I want to see if I can get some happiness from that. I'm unhappy, so I'm going to give him a call because he makes me feel happy. I just, I'm not in a good place right now, so I'm going to text her. And it just happens to be at 2 o'clock in the morning. And then we feel that pleasure. And eventually, the buzz wears off, so to speak. And we're back at square one. And what do we do? We go right back to that pleasure. And we do it again, 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 and we do it again. And according to Paul, eventually, we become a slave to that pleasure. And we've done nothing but undermine our own happiness. I think Jesus would look at us as folks who are sort of searching for unhappiness, I mean, uh, searching for happiness, and I think he would say, guys, look, listen, there is no quick fix for unhappiness. It doesn't exist. And if you keep sowing the seeds of pleasure, thinking you're going to find happiness, thinking you're going to reap happiness, you are mistaken. The only thing you're doing is undermining your chances to find happiness. I think Jesus would say, look, if you want to fix your happiness problem, there's something you got to do. You need to sow better in order to reap better if you want to feel better. Essentially, Jesus has been saying, guys, if you want to be happy, okay, here's my analogy. If you want to be happy, you need to be running premium gas, but you keep putting regular in. And it's going to work for a while, but eventually your check engine light's going to go off. Eventually, your engine's going to start knocking. Eventually, things are not going to be the way that you thought it was going to be. So if you want to feel better in your life, if you want to feel happiness, you need to sow better seeds to get a richer harvest. And Jesus has handed us those seeds all throughout his teaching, but particularly in the Beatitudes. He goes, I've handed them to you. You need to plant them, though. You need to water them. You need to cultivate them. And eventually, not immediately, but eventually you will find happiness. So what's the practical? What do you do with a message like this? If it's your first time here at DHC, every single week, we put this word on the screen because we want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So I want to ask you a tough question. And I want to challenge you to, to be honest with yourself. Nobody knows what you're thinking. Nobody knows how you're going to answer this. But I would just say that you really owe it to yourself to answer this question. And I think you owe it to the, the people that love you and that you love to answer this question. And I would be as bold as to say that only a thief would try to stop you from answering this question. Is there a pleasure that's undermining your happiness. Maybe it's a sin, maybe it's not. I have purposely left this idea of a pleasure very ambiguous because I just believe, even in my own life, I just feel like the Holy Spirit will use this to put a spotlight on something in your life that you know is ultimately going to lead to unhappiness, that is going to undermine your unhappiness. 
So I would challenge you, think outside of the box with this. What is that pleasure? Could it be work? Could it, could it be shopping? What is this one thing in your life that you have said yes to so many times that it is dangerously close to undermining the happiness in your life? Let me dig even a little bit deeper on this same question. Is there a pleasure that can undermine the happiness of someone you love? Are you engaged in something? Only you know what that is. But are you engaged in something right now that could potentially have a negative impact on your marriage, that could potentially have a negative impact on your children, maybe on your employees, on your coworkers, on your fellow students? Here's a big red flag for you. Is there a pleasure that those around you have started to question? You got a buddy, you got a relative, you have a friend who's coming into your life and just saying, hey, you know, I've noticed this. Or, hey, can I talk to you about, I've seen this in your life. Can we, can we have a, just have a quick conversation about this thing? And if your reaction is to flip out, if your reaction is to push back hard, if your reaction is to come to some kind of larger than necessary defense, to quote Shakespeare, we think the lady doth protest too much. You might, <laughs> listen, gotta class it up around here. You might have a problem. You might have a problem. And if you continue to say yes to that pleasure, whatever that pleasure might be, and you know what it is, you are a thief. You are doing something that will ultimately, not immediately, but ultimately undermine your own happiness, that will do nothing but kill and steal and destroy. So what do you do? What do you do? I would say this. I don't know what this thing is in your life. Only you do. Only God does. I don't know if it's illegal. It may be legal. I don't know if it's immoral. It could be moral. It might not even be bad. But when it comes to this issue in your life, the question that I want you to ask from today and moving forward is this. Is it wise? This is a wise thing for me to be doing. In light of my past experiences, everything that I've gone through in life, in light of my current circumstances, whatever those might be, wherever you've gotten to yourself now, and in light of my future hopes and dreams of what I want for myself, of what I want professionally, what I want romantically, what I want for my family, what I want for my children. Is this the wise thing for me to be doing? I mean, if you're looking for happiness, if you're looking for peace with God, if you're looking for peace with others, if you're looking for peace with yourself, is this the wise thing for me to do? Jesus has shown us the way. Jesus has handed us the seeds for happiness. He has said, I'm the good shepherd. And I want to challenge you to follow after me. Because my path will lead you to life. And life abundantly. Life that is rich. Life that is satisfying. But ultimately, that is 
your choice. Things can change. We don't have to say yes to sin. Jesus died on that cross so that sin would no longer be our master. Today can be different. We can make a change. Jesus has shown us the way. Let me pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you, number one, for the opportunity that we could come here today and just have a conversation. Lord, this idea of pleasure, it, truthfully, Lord, I've chosen in such an ambiguous term on purpose because I, I just feel like, Lord, your Holy Spirit can work in our lives in a mighty and powerful way. And I just pray right now that in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would search our hearts and that inside each and every single one of us, it would burn, Lord, if there is something that we are engaged in, it doesn't have to be illegal, it doesn't even have to be immoral, Lord, but if there's something that we are engaged in that we are slowly becoming a slave to, that, Lord, has the potential to destroy everything around us, Lord, I pray that you would give us the strength to say no. Not to leave this day and say, I got to work on it. Not to leave this day and say, I got, he, you know, he's right. I get, I get. Lord, that we would stop in the here and the now. We would put it away. We would walk away. We wouldn't answer the door. We wouldn't look out the window for it to come anymore, Lord. That we would stop trading happiness for pleasure. Lord, you have handed us the seeds of happiness. You've shown us the way to find peace with ourselves, to find peace with God, and to find peace with every single person around us. I pray, Lord, that you help us on that journey. Lord, to help us understand that none of this happens immediately, but it can happen eventually. It can happen ultimately, and it leads to life life to the fullest and life everlasting. Lord, I put all these requests in the name of Jesus, our good shepherd.